Hey guys, this is Adam and I am with coach Cat Peters <laughs> and we're calling this the mind over matter. See you later, leaner YouTube and podcasts will be on all platforms for you guys to listen to, which will be awesome. Um, I still need to get the Spotify set up, so I don't mind talking about that on air. There's a lot of moving parts to doing a podcast and making it available for all audiences. But today's topic I wanted to bring up was fear. And uh, my clients and our, our team, we do a team Zoom call every week. And I had asked the question, what's holding you back from your goals? And a lot of people came back to fear. Um, there was definitely a trend and people were afraid what people would think if they went after their goals. Um, trends with, you know, just fearing failure. And I, I thought that this would be a really interesting topic for us to talk about. And so when you prepped, did you have any fears or like anything that worried you? Like, was there a nagging thought throughout your whole prep? I think, you know, what I see a lot with competitors, even experienced competitors like myself, is when you get closer to that show, um, you get that that nagging oh no, I'm not going to be ready. You know, I think that's kind of like a, a fear that I see even a lot in a lot of my clients, you know, they're like, oh, I'm just not, you know, I'm not looking how I need to look. I'm not ready. Like, and it's, it's kind of like a trust fall, right? Cause you have to be able to trust your coach that you're going to be ready at the exact moment, because if you're ready too soon, that can be bad. If you're ready too late, that's obviously not what we want. Um, but it is like, that's the part I think that is kind of nerve wracking for a lot of people. Um, and then, you know, there's for a lot of people too. Um, if you have like close friends and family, sometimes there's that fear of judgment with, you know, people looking at what you're doing and thinking that it, it might be walking a line of something that's disordered versus, you know, pursuing uh, an extreme physique transformation. Um, not so much that with myself, because I don't really care, but uh, definitely yeah. the I won't be ready has been every season. <laughs> I think everyone has the I won't be ready scenario a little bit. Yes. I didn't have that much. Um, really, the only time I had much fear was my final prep was when I had athletes at the show I was competing in. So would I be able to give them what they needed? And also would uh, the package I brought be um acceptable as a coach right so i was worried about maybe judgment from my clients or maybe not winning and from my clients which was a pretty big trend of my competing career was you know always third place so and uh i was always happy with that because being a small bodybuilder at that you know i knew i wasn't bringing size to the table but what i did bring was conditioning so there was always, uh, you know, that to fall back on. But I did worry about acceptance of my clients. Now, fear is kind of interesting because, you know, when you fear not being ready, it, it can kind of become protective. But fear can also become destructive as well, depending on what you do with it. So if you have fear of kind of like you were saying, I'm not going to be ready, you might say, why even try? Yes. <laughs> or that fear is a protective measure of saying, I'm going to boss ass to make sure that I'm ready. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do see that a lot with clients as well. Um, you know, sometimes when, 
they're just, yeah, they're getting in their own head. Or if, you know, we make a call to like push back a show or go into off season early, then they just kind of get to the point where it's like, why bother? And they hit the, I'm going to keep my language clean, but I usually would use another word when I explain it to my clients, but the F it button where it's just like, well, you know what? I don't think this is going to work out. So boom, we're done. Let's really put the nail in the coffin and just, you know, make sure this doesn't happen. Um, And that self-sabotage is definitely not a good thing. And you do see it, unfortunately, sometimes as a coach and as a client, sometimes we do that. Um, Psychology is nuts. (laughs) Yeah. I I think the self-sabotage comes from what I see are people that really like control. So like, if I feel like I'm not going to do well, I'm just going to control the process and make it so I don't do well, you know, and then ultimately a lot of times they usually don't sign up for the competition and uh, they definitely get in the way of uh, what could be a potentially great outcome. I've had great competitors do this. I've had, you know, not so great competitors do this. And uh, it's just really interesting to see the different dynamic. You know, fear can be used to protect us, but I also find that fear can just really hold us back so much. Um, I feel like I've really leveled up this year because I told myself just two weeks ago, I was going to let go of a lot of just unperceived um, or really, I guess, fear that I had that I had no reason to absolutely have. You know, there's been things I've been worried about that um, don't happen. Um, a good example is, um, you know, maybe hearing bad news from a client and instead of wondering if they're going to give me bad mi- news, just reaching out and saying, Hey, like, are you okay? Cause sometimes you can tell they're not okay. And I'm just yeah. like, I'm just going to put that in the bin until they reach out to me, but then they might not reach out for two weeks or something. I'm like, should I reach out? And I start worrying, like, they're just going to tell me bad news and, I'm like, man, I could stop my worry and fear if I just say, hey, like, what's going on? It's not even that, you know, they have something traumatic going on. But sometimes if a client's in good cadence with you and they check in every week or maybe they stop checking in, that's when I'm like, all right, just go ahead and reach out and see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You bring up a good point that you know, there's so in psychology, um, there's a concept of like the, I'm trying to think of the exact verbiage for it, which is not going to come to me, but essentially it's like the circle of control, right? You can't control the outside factors, but you can control, you know, what you think and how you react to things. Um, and I think a lot of the times we get lost in that outside noise that we really, you know, there's nothing we could do about it anyway. If a client, like, you know, for example, bringing up like a client, if they're going to leave, they're going to leave, you know, Um, you can control how you react to it, like reaching out, you can control, you know, how you feel about it, how you think about it. Um, But at the end of the day, those outside factors are things that we put a lot of energy and a lot of like thought and worry into, but we really they are what they are. You can't do a whole lot about it. Um, so one thing that's kind of cool to do, uh, just as a, like a trick for anybody that's struggling with this stuff, sometimes it's a good idea to list the things like physically write them down that you're worried about and cross out everything that you cannot control. And then just focus on the things that are left because that's, that's all you can do. Everything else is just noise. 
that's a great example. I love that. I have a really good example. I don't know if you know, I got a new office chair. I was so excited to get it. So, you know, um, sometimes taking accountability for the things you can't control, though, is really empowering. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, so this chair came a couple days ago, and uh, I didn't make it to the door in time when, you know, DHL delivered it. And, you know, accepting accountability for that, you know, at first I was mad. I was like, it's their fault for not ringing the doorbell. They actually did ring the doorbell. I just couldn't hear it where I was in the house. So, you know, I wanted to blame them, but at the end of the day, if I wanted that chair bad enough, I would just like sat right at the front door, you know? So I just had to say, you know what? Like, shut up, Adam. Like, (laughs) this is your fault. Like if you wanted that chair bad enough, you would have done all your emails like sitting by the front door. And uh, I decided to get comfy in the basement where I couldn't hear the door as well, you know, so that's totally my bad. So like kind of taking accountability, sometimes even for the things that you can't control as much um, can just be really empowering. And that's kind of the hardest part too, is just almost be accountable for everything and then try to throw fear out and try not to, you know, fixate on those things like you you can't control, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I mean, it's kind of, it does vary person to person because I know there are definitely people like myself that are are like over responsible and will take too much accountability for everything and everyone around them. Um, So you have to make sure that you're walking that line of not not getting to the point where, you know, you're taking responsibility for other people or other factors, but just you. And I think that's, I think that's kind of one of the hard things um, for a lot of people, just because I don't know if it's strictly like a Western culture sort of thing, but it seems like um, sometimes the, the notion of focusing on yourself only, um, is seen as like this selfish, like, no, no, don't do that. Um, you know, you should kind of put yourself on the back burner and take care of other people instead of pursuing what matters to you. I've really seen that happen though, where other people drag people down. Um, I've seen it happen in relationships that my clients have gotten into. Oh, a lot. You know, I I literally, you know, going back to um, a chapter of Michael Singer's book, um, Untethered Soul, there's a chapter that really struck me well, and it's called Let Go Now or Fall. Well, if you let go, like you fall, you know, but it's like sometimes let go of that thing that's holding you back. And whether it's a bad relationship, you may be afraid of, you know, what's going to happen after you let go, because it could be a husband, it could be a wife, it could be, you know, it could be someone really close to you, it could be a parent that you have to let go of, because they're just so toxic to your life. I I feel bad for people that go through that, because I've never experienced that myself. But I've definitely seen it with clients. Um, And then I had to go back with, uh, you know, Steve Harvey said, I believe it was Steve Harvey said, uh, your parachute will open. And uh, I just, if you guys haven't seen that skit, I think it's him who goes over the, don't be afraid to jump, your parachute will open. Um, I really think about that when I hear let go now or fall, you know, some of those things are scary, but you're potentially, you know, 
putting yourself in a bad situation where you're just going to sink because you're trying to hang on to something that you shouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. And one point that I want to bring up with that, um, just because, you know, just talking about like cutting ties with toxic people or toxic situations. Um, I think a lot of people also have this, this idea that if you're letting go of something that's toxic, that it's going to feel good the whole time. Um, so even when we're releasing fears, whether they're people or situations or just our own coping skills or, you know, maladaptive coping skills, of course, um, things that break us down, if it's kind of a security blanket, even though it's toxic, it's going to hurt to let it go. And it's okay for it to hurt, to let go of fear and toxic situations. But, you know, I think the romanticized Hollywood version of like, oh, I let go of all the bad stuff in my life. So I feel great. You know, it's just not realistic. It's going to hurt. And that doesn't mean that you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. And a lot of these things can come with accountability too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and just telling people the truth and letting them know how you feel. And that gives that person a chance to change. Um, If they're super resistant about it, you know, you might have to cut ways. They might have to spend some time without you to realize, you know, oh, I really do need to change because this person will cut me out, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, And, you know, that can be a scary thing, of course, like to be able to like own your truth and let somebody know what you're really thinking and feeling. Um, and using those powerful, like I statements of, I feel this way so that people don't feel attacked. Um, but -hmm. even then you can't control somebody else's reaction. So you just got to kind of, I think like at the end of the day, right? Like if, if you're held back by other people's reactions, by the fear of how people are going to react to you or whatever it is that you're doing, you know, you're going to be unhappy either way, right? You might be unhappy because they're giving you a negative reaction, or you're going to be unhappy because you're not living your truth. Mm -hmm. So if you know that there's going to be some sort of like discomfort in either situation, which one's more beneficial to live your truth and be a little bit uncomfortable with people's reactions, you know, instead of being resentful later, just to make other people happy. So if you're going to get a short end of the stick, either way, pick your own truth and, and go with that. Man, this reminds me so much of, uh, I had a male client who was married to um, a female with a uh, drug addiction. And, you know, we, we, it's always cool when guys open up because they don't usually open up that much, but this guy was really sensitive guy would open up to me. Um, The cool thing is, you know, we were talking and I said, why are you afraid to let go? And he had said that if she changes, you know, I don't want to have been moved on to another situation and not be able to take her back. I said, well, on one pendulum, that tells me that you still love her, but you love the changed version of her. I said, you're kind of creating a hypothetical situation, which is giving you comfort to not let go. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And I said, you don't even know who the second person is that you've maybe engaged in a relationship with to then not take your wife back if she changes. And, and I said, you know, you always have the chance to change. So you could be in a new situation and then your wife changes and you say, I'm going to take you back. Cause I did make a commitment with you. I said, you really just have to let go and let this play out. And he did let it play out. 
And, uh, you know, currently there's no end to that situation at the moment, but he's actually still single and just, you know, so that second component that was kind of complicating his decision hasn't even been a component. So essentially, if his wife does clean up, they will be back together. Um, And I don't really know the status on that. But um, it it really is interesting because um, sometimes people will almost make up scenarios to protect themselves from letting go in a weird way, too. So that was something that I kind of wanted to bring up. And uh, what you had said before that just kind of reminded me of that situation. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's another good point. You know, we will kind of do that, you know, create these scenarios as a source of comfort, you know, as a a justification for doing something or staying in a situation that we know is not necessarily serving our highest good, um, you know, just because it's familiar and comfortable. And that really does sometimes lock us into place. I think, you know, even in competition prep, right, it's easy to bail out because it's not comfortable. It's not familiar. There's a lot of stuff that's, you know, really tough and grueling. And um, that's where that fear can sometimes take over is when you're losing that source of comfort and familiarity. Absolutely. You know, going back into contest prep, I think that's why a lot of people struggle in the off season is they, they'll be the first to say my body is broken from prep. It kind of takes the blame away from themselves, um, yes. at least in their mind. But at the end of the day, your body doesn't break. There is hormonal suppression, you know, and it's funny because I'll see these people, you know, just uh, be mad at their old coach or whatnot. And they're throwing their old coach under the bus and they're like, my body's permanently broken. Well, then, you know, 10 months, 11 months, two years later, you see him cutting again. I'm like, well, how come you're, how come you're not broken anymore? You know? And then that coach definitely doesn't get an apology. Like I'll say, I've had people do that shit to me. I never do like, it's okay. But at the end of the day, they spread so much misinformation for, you know, one to two years versus like actually getting blood work done and actually, you know, are your hormones really off or you just, not accepting accountability, you know, because you're afraid what people will think of you if you're honest and just say, I'm eating beyond my metabolic set point. So I'm yeah. getting heavier. I'm having a hard time saying no. And I, I think that that's more empowering than just lying to your audience, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a tough one. Um, And especially too, like people don't take into account that, you know, after competition prep, when you enter an off season, you're probably going to slow down. Even if your coach gives you assigned cardio, are you going to do it? There's no deadline. You know, Um, I'm guilty of that. Even myself is cardio. uh, You know, if I can get out of it, I'll get out of it. Um, But that will also be a factor. And so it's like, how much of it is, just psychological factors and like, uh, slowing down, so to speak versus hormones. So it's, but yeah, personal responsibility, you know, that's definitely really important. Um, but another thing that I want to mention because, you know, mentioning the off season, I do see a lot of competitors that will, um, and I actually wrote about this in our September newsletter. Um, I do see a lot of competitors that will jump 
show to show to show because of the fear of gaining weight. So kind of the opposite in there where they're like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I just want to be lean all the time. So I'm just going to compete, 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 which then can have, you know, major repercussions because your body's going to take longer to adjust. Um, but you're never really making real progress if you do that too. So. Yeah. I was tough. just, yeah, I was just having that conversation with Joe, how I kind of set up four shows for your girl so she could reverse out because she was kind of struggling with binging. But it seemed like the closer shows were the less she would do it. So it was at least controllable within how close her shows were. So we reversed her and until her last show, which I think was about eight or nine weeks between just the whole, you know, first show to last show worked out wonderfully for her awesome. so definitely was excited about that but I think this was a really good thorough podcast on fear and um, I guess we could probably even just throw accountability in there yeah and um, you know we'll definitely see you guys next week on the mind over matter podcast see you guys Boom.